Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world's sounds. This episode features Steve Beauchene, the chief executive taster at Bose All Natural Brewing Company, a local family-run do-it-yourself beer company. Hey, Steve, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. So I'd like to start things off by getting to know where you're from, what did you study, and how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Okay. Uh, well, I was born in uh, Newmarket, uh, but my family moved to uh, Vankley Kill area in, uh, I guess, 84, so I think I was about eight years old, something like that. <laughs> and uh, so I grew up in, in Bankley Kill. I went to uh, VCI for high school, graduated in 95, and uh, I went to Ryerson for school. Uh, by the time I left for university, I, I already had decided I wanted wanted to be an entrepreneur, although uh, I wasn't thinking brewery at that point in time. I was thinking record label, uh, so I sp- very specifically went to Ryerson because they had a management and entrepreneurship uh, program. That uh, really interested me, and my my goal was to learn enough about business to uh, to start my own record label. And uh, um, I ended up I, I did start a record label. I just realized at a certain point I couldn't make money at it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah. So the I guess the first time I decided I wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, was relatively young. It was. Um, March break, maybe grade nine or grade ten, and I was bored one day, and I picked up. Uh, my dad had a book on uh, on entrepreneurship, and um, I you know, sat in the basement one day during March break, and I read the thing cover to cover in one day, and uh, kind of opened my eyes that you know what my dad was doing was you know had a name, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just seemed like that would be far more fun than than working for somebody else. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So so previous to Bose, you you just mentioned it that you you know you had a band, you wanted to start a record label, but you also worked for the province of Ontario. So can you share some uh, a little bit more about your you know your band and then the transition to a desk job before becoming you know a full time entrepreneur? Sure. Uh, well, uh, one of the nice things when I went to Ryerson, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to get to work for their uh, management consulting firm at Ryerson, and uh, I ended up being the manager of the service uh, in my final year, and uh, that gave me a lot of skills uh, related to uh, writing business plans, um, doing market research, that kind of thing, and. Um, the band I started up pretty much the year I graduated from university, and it uh, it wasn't paying the bills, so I, I would I needed to have a desk desk job or a day job, 
And uh, I, first, I bounced around to it from a few different companies, um, mostly either small startups or um, or charities. Uh, I, I did a stint with the uh, Heart and Stroke Foundation, and uh, worked for a couple a uh, couple startups. Um, and uh, at one point, uh, I uh, found out about um, it was a two-year paid internship that the Ontario government was offering. Uh, and one of the fields you could go into was business planning. Mm-hmm. And uh, business planning was always kind of a strong suit of mine and uh, something I really enjoyed because I just always liked the idea of, you know, here's an idea, uh, what resources are required to get it off the ground and, you know, what what kind of challenges might you face and kind of that. It, it, to me, writing a business plan is is not much different than writing a novel. It's uh, having a creative idea and and sort of building it out. Uh, so I, I was able to, to get in on the internship, and I think within about three months, uh, they decided that um, you know, I, I didn't need to be an intern anymore, and they just brought me on full-time. And uh, very quickly, I uh, was able to go from, from intern to uh, manager of the, the business planning department at the Ministry of Community Safety and Correctional Services, um, and at the exact same time, that was while I was in a band and, and, and uh, running the record label. So the days were a little bit hectic because I would literally, I'd get up usually around six o'clock in the morning to, uh, to get ready for work, finish work at about six. And then by about eight o'clock, I'd either be jamming or on my way to a show or on the weekends, uh, I was also part of running the record label. Um, I was running um, uh, nightclub might be a little bit too fancy of a term for it, <laughs> but um, but I was I was running a club that uh, basically the the general idea behind it was uh, the bands that were in my record label would volunteer I think it was two shifts a month uh, to work at so my my labor was all volunteer. And in return, all of the money that went into the club uh, got used to to fund releases through the record label. So it's kind of a neat um, neat little business model I had going there for a while, and we were able to do some really cool things with the money. Um, you know, by just basically we we could literally release records for free. So just give away the records for free because all the bands on the label promotion was the the biggest thing they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to do, you know, some some really fun things with that. But um, the relationship with the uh, the landlord got got worse and worse, and I ended up uh, shutting that down. And then I had uh, my first kid, and I decided to shelve the record label for a little while. Although I kept the band going for a, for a bit still, um, but. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, just never really made a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's a common, you know, trend in the music industry. So, yeah. when did you first come up with with your idea to launch a brewery, and and why did you ultimately decide to do that? It was actually my dad's idea. Um, he'd been running a textile business in Vancouver Hill for about about twenty years, and the uh, the textile industry just just died. Uh, he had he was basically getting ready for retirement. Uh, thought he had you know everything in order, and then just the bottom dropped out of the industry. And within about a two-year period, literally every single one of his customers either moved offshore or went bankrupt. Mm. 
And he came to visit me one day and basically told me his very last customer had just declared bankruptcy, which in essence put him out of business. And so he was in a bit of a crisis, uh, and we spent the day kind of brainstorming, you know, what his options were with both the building that um, that the textile uh, business was in, uh, as well as you know his his sort of exit strategy and what he was going to do now that uh, that his retirement plans had been uh, destroyed. And somewhere in the conversation uh, was my dad actually that said. Uh, you know, you're always coming home with uh, one crazy beer or another. Uh, <laughs> what if uh, what if we opened up uh, a craft brewery in, in eastern Ontario? And I said, well, on the spot, I said, if you're serious, I'll quit my job, sell my house, uh, move back home, and I'll, I'll start a brewery with you. And so we spent the rest of the day dreaming up this brewery we were going to start. And the, the next day, we sobered up, and it still seemed like a good idea. And uh, we just kind of rolled with it from there. That's awesome. What what year was that? That would have been 2004. And uh, so we spent two years uh, building the business plan, getting it financed, and and getting operational. Yeah. So what what role did uh, did the background you know your background in music play in into the way that the Bose brand was was developed, built, and then ultimately marketed? Well, it definitely taught me how to drink in bars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I quite often joke that. Uh, we've basically taken the marketing model for an independent record label and applied it to beer. The synergies between the two industries are, are incredible and the, the, the similarities are, are so, so wonderful. And uh, so I basically took a lot of the pages from, from my record label experience and applied them to, to the brewery. Um, a couple of sort of tangible examples that have really worked well for us um, one is uh, there's a strategy that a lot of uh, independent record labels employ where they take their, their absolute best releases of the year and instead of releasing them near Christmas time or kind of in spring or fall when, when the industry is at its best, they'll actually release their best stuff in February, which seems very counterintuitive, but none of the major labels ever put anything out in fe- February. So um, they can get their song top of the charts. They can get better radio play. They can uh, make a much bigger impact um, because no one else is doing anything because it's a traditionally bad time to sell records. Uh, So we took that model, um, and February also is a very awful time to sell beer, it turns out. And uh, so what we what we did is we, we said, well, why don't we create a specific program in February uh, to try to you know capture on the fact that there, no one else is doing anything? And so we created February, which uh, we release a different beer every week during the month, as well as hosting uh, different um, uh, special events and and special programs for our uh, for our fans and. Uh, promotions at the brewery, things like that. And uh, within two years, we were able to get up to over 100 restaurants that partner with us. So each of these restaurants carries the different beer every week during the during the month. And uh, we're able to actually dramatically increase our sales that month. But on top of that, we've uh, gotten so much media attention and so much um, promotional support because no one else was 
doing anything during the month of February. So it's uh, taken what was you know a terrible month for selling beer, and it's it's not our best month yet, but uh, it's it's an it's not the the worst month anymore. That's for sure. And the uh, the amount of growth we've had in that month uh, is pretty phenomenal. And that was really just taking a page from from the record label industry. That's really really cool. Um, and and so. You know, I, I know you've talked about in the past a lot that, that Bose is really built on uh, family values. So what are some of the most important values that you guys have and, and how have they also contributed to building, you know, the brand and the identity of the brewery? Sure. Uh, we we like to think we, uh, we do the right thing for the right reasons. So uh, sustainability is a, is, a, is a very big issue for us. Uh, we've been certified organic since 2009, I believe. It took us a few years to get the paperwork, uh, but we've been using organic ingredients since day one. Uh, but um, so every beer that we release is certified organic. We are now uh, we're a hundred percent, a hundred percent. How do you phrase this right? Uh, we've chosen 100% renewable electricity and 100% green natural gas. Uh, to power our operations in Bankley Hill, we are Canada, and we're the first brewery in Canada to do that. We're also the first brewery in Canada to achieve a B Corp uh, certification. Uh, if you're not familiar with B Corp, it is um, it's a designation for companies that have achieved a very high level of uh, sustainability and uh, community support, and uh, so, and we also. Uh, you know, really believe in in supporting the community that that we serve. So, uh, for example, last year we donated to over a hundred different charities, um, and we host an Oktoberfest every year. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, it's our signature fundraising event, and and this year our Oktoberfest alone raised ninety five thousand dollars for a variety of charities, and uh, so we we do a lot. I think to um, to try to you know, push ourselves to do better and, uh, and, you know, try to make the, the communities that, uh, that we live in and that we serve beer to, uh, just keep getting stronger. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's really, that's really awesome. Uh, we're going to talk more about some of the social initiatives a little bit later there when uh, Tyler comes back. Um, so I, I just, I just wanted to know too, uh, I, you know, how has the company culture changed as you guys have grown? I tried looking for an exact number of employees now, cause I know you guys used to be a little bit smaller a couple of years ago and then it kind of just exploded, but how do you convey some of these core values to these new employees and how do you keep it like a, a family run brewery? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. When we started, there was um, a total of six of us, um, including myself and my mother, who weren't actually getting paid. <laughs> but uh, four of us on payroll and two two that just wished they were. <laughs> <laughs> paid in and, beer. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that was the worst part is in the starting days, we, we couldn't actually drink our own beer because we didn't have it in bottles and we didn't have a way to get it out of a keg and we'd always be sold out. It was terrible. The only way to get a beer was to like go find it at a bar, a bar. and have it on tap. <laughs> no but um, we're now up to 125 employees. Wow. wow! And we're growing at about 40% a year, which means our you know our staff is increasing by by about the same amount every year. It seems, and that can be very difficult to to maintain the the culture and the attitude. Um, but there's been a couple things we've done to help foster the culture. 
One is uh, we'll always try to promote from within before we hire from the outside. Uh, so again, the people that are coming in are primarily coming into entry-level positions so that they can learn the culture from seeing the culture uh, as they grow with the company. Another thing that we do is when we do look to the outside, we start by polling the people who work at the brewery for references for for the position. Uh, we've kind of made nepotism uh, a, a company <laughs> value. Um, and uh, we find that you know if, if we're hiring a, a cousin or a friend or a spouse of someone that already works at the brewery, they, for the most part, know what they're getting into when they start. And, uh, and they understand the culture usually fairly well before, before they ever start. And then we also look to our own friends, uh, friends and family. And, and quite often we'll hire someone that you know, we've developed a relationship with several years prior to that. Um, and you would just kind of tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, we're looking for this position. Would you like to, to fill it? But we, we tend to be more focused on uh, who the person is as opposed to what their skill sets are. When we're hiring, um, obviously, you know, there's a number of positions we hire for that that have a you know skill level that that someone needs to have. You know, if we're hiring for a brewer or a K- QA position or something, it, you, there needs to be the skill set there. But if we've got two very talented people, one has slightly more technical experience and the other has more of a, a cultural fit, we'll, we'll go with the person that has the cultural fit, so long as they have the minimum amount of uh, technical skills. Because our feeling is you can always teach someone skills, you can't teach them to embrace the culture. Mm-hmm. So you're better off hiring someone that already already has the same values as, as the company does. That's some amazing growth. Uh, it seems that I'm starting to know more and more people that are working at Bose. Like every other person that I've you know, <laughs> bumped into, they're like, yeah, I'm working at Bose now. It's like, oh, that's amazing. And uh, <laughs> that's from what I saw online, you guys are also entering the States now? You made a shipment out to the States? That's right. We, uh, we've been working on this for, for a while, and the, the first shipment finally went out a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're not into all the states. We're in New York State. The goal for, for us as a brewery is to try to keep the beer within a one day's drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, so New York is is literally an hour an hour south of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just seemed to make more sense than trying to ship the beer, you know, to the far west of Canada. You know, the the border is pretty imaginary. Uh, there. So you've been able to achieve quite a lot um, for a small brewery over the years and had a huge impact on communities all around the, the Ottawa Valley. And some of the coolest initiatives are the Greener Futures Project. Uh, so what is this and, and what's the main objective? Yeah, we actually just released uh, or just uh, relaunching the Greener Futures Project, kind of a phase two version of it. Uh, but the the goal for Greener Futures was to create a members-only beer club. So what that means is by joining a beer, the beer club, you're entitled to uh, beer that no one else is, is able to get their hands on. We don't sell it to the general public. You can only get it by joining the beer club. And um, in the, the current version, the, the membership is, is a one-year membership. And uh, within that member, uh, one year, you'll receive uh, 10 bottles of beer. And you also get two souvenir glasses, but then I guess the um, the kind of the the hook to the whole thing is that we commit to using the funds raised to further our uh, sustainability initiatives. 
And uh, with our first phase one just wrapping up, um, we use the funds for that uh, for a number of different things. Uh, we're putting a, a small solar array on the brewery. Uh, nice. We are also, um, with a, a partner of ours, uh, Bullfrog Power, uh, going to be installing another solar array into the community. Uh, so either on a school or on an arena or something like that uh, to benefit the community itself. Then on top of that, we've partnered with Bullfrog and for the next three years, uh, 100% of our uh, electrical and 100% of our natural gas will be sourced from green renewable sources. And the way it works is they don't, we're attached to the grid. So they put in to the grid as much as we pull out of the grid. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing that we've done with, uh, with the money that we raised in phase one was um, we partnered with the Ottawa Renewable Energy Co-op, or OREC, and we're giving our Greener Futures members uh, incentives to join o OREC and invest in OREC. And by leveraging um, the investments that our members make in OREC, uh, with uh, some extra incentives uh, that we're putting into OREC, uh, we're expecting that this will generate uh, it's a total of 250,000 kilowatt hours per year, which is about another third of the brewery's uh, electrical consumption. Um, wow, that's amazing. So, yeah, so we'll actually be generating or offsetting more energy than we're at even uh, even taking out of the grid. Which is kind of cool. Really cool. So if I wanted to become a member, how would I do so? You can uh, either sign up online or mm -hmm. you can call the brewery if you prefer to talk through it. Or you can come down to the brewery and, and sign up here. And then to get the beers, would these be delivered to my house? Yeah, so it depends on where you're located. If you're near the brewery, we would encourage you to come here and pick it up. Mm -hmm. For Ottawa, you can either uh, wait till it's worth your while to come to the brewery and pick up you know, one or two releases. Or if you'd prefer to get your hands on it quicker, uh, you, can, uh, you can work with... Uh, we've got a, a home delivery system set up with our uh, another one of our charity partners, Operation Come Home. Mm -hmm. And uh, they operate a charitable... Um, beer delivery service so they can deliver the beer for you and if you want you can have them tack on a couple four packs of lug tread to really make it worth your while mm -hmm. and uh and then the the fun part is that they use that money then to employ homeless youth and give them job training and experience and and help get them off the streets which is just kind of cool. That's really cool. So as you mentioned earlier, you you guys launched a Oktoberfest and it's a weekend full of music, beer um, and it was in its sixth year this past year, and, and you were able to raise $95,000 for Cherry. So why did you uh, start the event, and how's it grown over the years? What's well, funny, the the reason for starting it uh, was literally, uh, we'd, we'd set a pretty aggressive target that year for uh, how much we hoped to raise for Cherry. And we got to the midway point of the year, and we were starting to worry that we wouldn't wouldn't be able to raise enough. So we thought, well, let's let's throw a party, <laughs> and, and parties tend to be great ways to uh, to raise money. And uh, it's funny the the first year we were expecting, you know, maybe five hundred people to show up, and uh, turned out five thousand people showed up at the gates that that day. Oh, that's awesome! And uh, 
yeah, uh, it totally overwhelmed us, but it also really let us know that we had something big on our hands. So we've been able to build it out, and every year, um, you know, we, we seem to, you know, invest more into it and be able to raise more money every year for charity. So this past year, um, we had a total of nineteen thousand two hundred people come to the brewery over the two days. Uh, we raised ninety five thousand dollars for charity. We drank about uh, six hundred kegs of beer. Wow! <laughs> um, and uh, local restaurants we brought in served forty five thousand uh, plates of food, um, and we spent a further. I think it was $350,000 on local businesses to put on the event. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, it seems now like each year that the event becomes you know, sold out and it's actually hard to get your hands on tickets. Yeah, the Saturday has actually sold out every year since the very first year when we got overwhelmed and eventually closed the gates once <laughs> 5,000 people had gotten through. Um, and uh, part of that's because we're trying to manage the growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that people have a good experience while they're at Oktoberfest. Uh, so while we do enjoy seeing the growth in the festival, we want to make sure that uh, you know um, no one's standing in line for a beer for an hour or or a porta potty for for too long. And so as we're scaling it, we're trying to sort of make sure that we can keep it manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the Saturday tends to always sell out. The Friday, uh, this year came close to selling out, but, but didn't quite. So at Bose, you guys also buy Bose online. And you guys had some challenges trying to implement it, um, implement the new social project. So, so what happened and how did you guys overcome it? Yeah, so buy your Bose online or, or BYBO. It's the home delivery program that I was uh, mentioning er- earlier. So we work with Operation Come Home, which is... Uh, a really wonderful Ottawa-based charity that uh, their mission is to prevent homeless youth from becoming homeless adults. And uh, we'd been working with them uh, on a different project for a couple of years before this started. And that project was um, working with restaurants where they would hire homeless youth to go to the restaurants to pick up their empty bottles. And then they would uh, take those empty bottles to the beer store, collect the deposit, and that's how they, they made their money. So it was a convenience for the restaurant and, uh, and a revenue stream for them. Because of how much we liked that project, we offered them a special deal. If they gave us the bottles back directly instead of going through the beer store, we would give them $2 for every bottle of bows they collected. And uh, that program was, was a lot of fun. And after, I guess, about a year or two of running it, uh, I met with Elspeth uh, McKay, the, the director there, and we were brainstorming ideas to increase revenue. And she, uh, she had the, the idea of um, working the same way that the kids were working with, um, I say kids, they're, they're all uh, you know, in their 20s, but <laughs> uh, kids today. Uh, but working with uh, the youth that, that would go to the restaurants, and she thought, well, what if we started picking up empty bottles at, uh, at people's houses too? And I suggested that if you wanted to make more money, it, you, there's a lot more value in dropping off a full beer than picking up an empty one. And uh, she th- seemed to agree with that. So we looked into it, um, 
had our lawyers look into it, and what they ended up doing was creating a home delivery service, getting a home delivery license. And uh, just before we launched, I guess uh, it turns out another brewery got wind of it and decided they didn't like the idea, so they they put in a complaint um, based on kind of an obscure rule that that we missed when we were looking at the the rules around home delivery services. And that rule is that a home delivery service needs to pick up their beer from a authorized and operated LCBO store. And what confused us on that is is technically our brewery retail shop is an LCBO store. So we thought that that gave us the right to sell beer and we couldn't couldn't think of any reason why anyone would have an issue with that. Uh, if home delivery services are okay, why can't they pick up from a brewery? Uh, but apparently the the wording was intended to make it only available from either the LCBO or the beer store. So on the day that we launched, we got shut down. The AGTO called up and said, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, what you're doing is illegal. You, you're going to have to stop. Uh, so we wrote a basically just a blog, saying, and I think the title was something along the lines of The Grinch Who Stole Your Christmas Beer. Um, you know, and explained that because because of this complaint, uh, now these homeless youth that uh, had had been given this great opportunity to get off the streets had you know just been you know kicked once more while they were down because the job that they thought they had just just disappeared overnight. And I guess that that really resonated. And uh, within eight days, uh, the government of Ontario literally was able to change the law to allow the service to get up and running. And uh, so. We were able to, you know, in just over a week, go from having the service shut down to having the laws in the province changed to to allow it to continue. It's pretty awesome. It was pretty cool, <laughs> and uh, we've been doing it now for a few years. And and the success stories that that we're building uh, from these uh, from these youth are pretty pretty impressive. We've got uh, formerly homeless youth that. Uh, you know, are now either in in university or completing high school again, or um, a couple of them are in full time jobs, and it's uh, it's really heartwarming to see that you know we're able to do this, and it for the brewery it creates a, an additional revenue stream. So it's not like it's costing us money to do this. This is a uh, a valuable service that that they're providing, and we're just kind of helping them do that. So it's it's pretty cool. I remember reading the blog post and 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 seeing that and and just amazed that that you guys were able to actually rewrite the rules in the province and and make that happen. It's it's awesome. Um, so I, I know you mentioned it earlier, and I've heard you kind of talk about it in the past too. Um, when you guys initially wanted to go launch Bose Brewery, um, you need the funding, you know, from the bank. Uh, can you take us through, you know, how you guys actually secured that funding and were able to launch? So. Because of my background, I was able to to write a business plan, and uh, we started shopping that around to uh, to banks, um, the local uh, CFTC, the Community Futures Group, um, and uh, and to people that we we knew, uh, friends and family, basically that uh, might have a little bit of money to to put in. The traditional banks all said no right off the bat. Uh, we had one asset that was of a particular value, and that was the building that my dad had owned. And uh, so what we were really looking for was was a mortgage. So we were quite surprised to find out that the, the mainstream bank wouldn't even mortgage uh, the building uh, because they 
they were that risk adverse. Uh, we ended up talking to the BDC, and the BDC was was quite interesting because um, they read the business plan and said, "Well, you don't really know what you're doing because you can't open a brewery in Eastern Ontario. It's not going to work." And I said, "Well, no offense, but I've been building business plans for a while. I'm pretty confident that that this idea is going to work." And they said, "Well, tell you what, if you hire a, a consultant uh, that we that we decide on." If you hire them to do a feasibility study and they come back and they say it's it's not a totally crazy idea, then maybe we'll fund you. So we did that. We hired the the consultants. Uh, their feasibility study, when they finished it, basically said that you know despite the fact that there's not been a successful brewery in eastern Ontario, um, the market's ready for this. The idea is sound. Um, I would recommend funding this venture. And during that time, we really spent a lot of time with the uh, our account manager as well. And our account manager uh, eventually, you know, believed in us and took it to uh, the branch manager. And eventually, we were able to get the branch manager on board, and we were offered a loan. And we thought, well, that's great. We're in business now, and we started making steps to to move forward. I said, before we flow the funds, we uh, there's one last step. Um, it's more of a formality than anything, but uh, the audit division always uh, takes a look at loans before uh, before the the money's dispersed, uh, just to make sure there's not any malfeasance or you know uh, cronyism or anything like that. And uh, so we said, okay, well that's fine. Uh, but then a week later, we got a call from from the our account manager saying, I, I I'm really sorry, guys. I, I I can't believe this. I've never seen anything like this before. But the audit division has turned down your loan because they're convinced you can't sell beer in eastern Ontario. <laughs> and so we were floored. But uh, we, we went back and forth. And um, our, account, our account manager, to his credit, really, really stood up and went to bat for us. And uh, he was able to get not the full amount of the loan but a, a part of the loan that had originally been approved for us. Which was difficult because it wasn't enough money to actually do anything with, but we felt that we had to move forward. So we talked to um, an, another brewery in sort of the far west part of eastern Ontario in Campbellford uh, called Churchkey Brewing. And we were able to work out a deal where we had enough money to buy two fermenters. So we had those fermenters installed at Churchkey. And we uh, we would rent out their brewery from them a couple times a month, and go in and brew the beer and filter it all in their facility for the first year, and so that helped get us off the ground. And in the meantime, um, as soon as we had a beer that people could could drink and try, you know, friends and family that were more reluctant to put money in came to see see the opportunity better and better, and. Um, we were able to to raise a little enough money to buy the the rest of the brew house that way, um, and our our community futures group uh, came in with a little bit of money as well, and we kind of scrabbled it all together, and uh, we were able to have pretty much just enough to get off the ground. The funny thing is, is that was probably the most difficult trial of the entire brewery was was getting the financing to get it off the ground. 
that first batch of beer that we made won the award for best beer at the festival at the Golden Tap Awards in Toronto. And from that point on, we've, we, we're still chasing the demand for, for lug tread. And there doesn't seem to be ever, ever uh, an end to, uh, to the, the growth of that brand. Um, and uh, we've been really, really uh, fortunate that uh, uh, you know uh, restaurants and and LCBOs, particularly in eastern Ontario, have really, really uh, just adopted us from day one. And uh, we started selling in uh, the Toronto area a few years ago as well. And and Toronto has really, really taken to us as well, which is you know amazing to see. And uh, and from there, now we're shipping into New York. We've got uh, plans to ship into Quebec next uh, early next year. And uh, since that that sort of original startup period, we've uh, we've been able to to finance all of our growth with uh, with debt financing. So uh, we've not had to uh, take on owners that we don't like, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is really nice. Um, you know, we don't have. We don't have to talk to a, um, a bunch of investors who want us to put out, you know, crappy beer or you know, uh, do awful things or, you know, uh, cut back on our donations. We're we're really able to make beer that we want to make and run the business the way we want to run a business, and uh, that's quite often the most limiting thing to our growth is. You know, there's there seems to be a a long list of people that that would love to to invest in the brewery, uh, but they tend to want to invest um, only if they can you know have a seat on the board and veto rights and um, you know start changing what makes us special. Yeah. And so we've we've really uh, I think uh, done a good job of of resisting that temptation. So at Bose, you guys are really known for collaborating collaborating on different types of beer, and one specifically is the uh, the one you did with Tom Green, the Milk Stout. Is there any other collaborations that you guys will be doing in the near future, or new types of beer that you guys will be introducing to the market? Yeah, so in the last few years, we've collaborated with Tom Green, uh, Margaret Atwood, the punk band DOA. We uh, we've collaborated with one of this one of the last seven remaining. Uh, Trappist Monk run breweries. Uh, we've had a, and then we brewed with a lot of um, breweries from Quebec, United States, uh, Denmark, um, and and we've had a lot of fun uh, with our collaborations. It's a it's a wonderful way to keep learning about different techniques and different ways that that brewers make beer. But it's uh, more than that. It's uh, it's a very inspirational uh, project to do because you just. You really get to see, you know, sort of the potential that someone else sees in beer, and and we have a lot of fun with that. Um, one of the collaborations that we're working on right now, it's part of something we call the the B sides Brewing Project, and what we're doing with that is we're we're working with uh, brewery friends from around the world uh, to produce their beer in Ontario here, and then use our sales team and our our trucks to to get the beer. To the restaurants and to the LCBO, so you can have a freshly made, locally brewed example of world-class beer from out from from different areas. The first uh, first beer that we put on that uh, brewing, we call it a brewing label. Again, this is going back to the rock and roll uh, analogy, but we uh, we're basically 
the the idea behind this is um, the brewers we work with are our artists, and we handle the distribution and marketing for them uh, in the local area. And the first brewery we worked uh, with was uh, Anders Kissmeyer from from Denmark, and uh, he's a wonderful brewer. He uh, he was recently named the best brewer in the planet, which is kind of a, a lofty title. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, but he's, uh, he's incredibly humble. He's incredibly brilliant. And, uh, we make a Nordic pale ale with him, uh, which is absolutely delicious, but we're just gearing up now to do our second B-sides, uh, project. Uh, and that's going to be with gigantic brewing from Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, very, very good friends of mine, uh, been, you know, hanging out and drinking beer with, with these guys for, for many, many years. But um, they're also running just a wonderful brewery. They uh, recently won the Platinum Award at, at Mondial de la Bière, which is uh, the highest award that, uh, that Mondial uh, gives out uh, for, one of their, for one of their brands. Uh, they've also won at the World Beer Cups, and they, they know what they're doing, and they make just, just phenomenal beer. And uh, so we're going to be uh, making a Belgian IPA with them, and uh, we hope to be releasing that in March. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Cool. Well, that's it. Uh, I mean, thanks so much for your time today, Steve. Well, I appreciate uh, the interest, and uh, yeah, uh, anytime. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.